Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories... Belgium suspends aid to Burundi after violent crackdown on protesters and EU foreign policy chief seeks UN help to tackle migrant crisis. In economics, Southern Africa faces possible food shortages over the next few months and in sports news, Springbok coach confirms starting lineup for matches against Argentina. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Burundi's President Pien Kurunziza has rejected international calls to delay elections. This after his bid for a third term triggered deadly protests. At least 19 people have been killed and tens of thousands have fled to neighboring countries. Nkurunziza in an interview with the BBC said that postponing the vote would worsen the situation. The European Union and United States called for the election set for late June to be delayed. Yesterday, Belgium suspended key funding for the elections. East African leaders will meanwhile hold a summit in Tanzania tomorrow aimed at breaking the political deadlock in Burundi. Tanzania's President Shakia Kikwete, who chairs the East African community, is expected to receive a report on the summit from a group of foreign ministers who visited the country earlier this week. Mali separatist rebels have killed 30 army soldiers in an attack on an army convoy. Spokesperson for the coordination of the Azawad movements, Muhammad Amoloud Ramadane, says they attacked an army patrol southwest of Timbuktu. The death toll could not be immediately confirmed by independent sources. However, a spokesperson for the United Nations mission in Mali has confirmed the attack. The violence threatens a peace deal meant to be signed on Friday. A continental standby military force could come closer to reality when African Union defense and security ministers begin a meeting in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe today. A pan-African peacekeeping unit has been under discussion since 2002. Each of the continent's five regions have been tasked with setting up its own standby brigade. The unit's mandate would be limited to intervening to stop war crimes, genocide and crimes against humanity. Political analyst Takura Zangaza believes a continental standby force could eventually end questionable Western military interventions in Africa's conflicts. This is an important development insofar as it says Africa is responsible for its own continental peacekeeping as opposed to relying on NATO or the French military in, in, in cases such as Mali and even in uh, cases such as Libya. So you've got uh, an important step forward in terms of the African Union saying, look, we are prepared to also carry our own weight, especially when it, where and when it comes to the continent. 
More than 300,000 South Sudanese in need of emergency relief do not currently have access to life-saving assistance. Ongoing hostilities in South Sudan's unity state have reportedly forced the humanitarian response to be suspended. Close to a year and a half of conflict has devastated the lives of millions of people in the world's youngest nation. Stephanie Kutrix reports. All non-governmental organizations and UN agencies have been forced to evacuate staff from Lear and other locations, the UN humanitarian coordinator in South Sudan announced on Monday. Toby Lanzer said the humanitarian response south of Bentu in Unity State has come to a stop at a time when stocks of food are depleted. Mr. Lanzer explained that aid agencies are committed to returning to all areas of Southern Unity to continue emergency operations as soon as it is safe for them to do so. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. On this Tuesday, May the 12th, the 132nd day of 2015, with 233 days left in the year. Our top story, South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa will be in Tanzania today to help quell political tension in Burundi. Burundi has been thrown into a political crisis following the announcement by incumbent President Pierre Nkurunziza that he would be vying for a third term. Over the weekend, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma joined growing calls by international leaders who have asked President Nkurunziza to reconsider his decision to stand for a third term. Sarah Kimani reports. South Africa is the guarantor of the Arusha Peace Agreement, which saw an end to years of civil war in the East African nation. Deputy President Ramaphosa will join East African leaders in seeking to break a political deadlock in Burundi. Political analysts, however, say the international community dragged its feet as far as the Burundi crisis is concerned. Dr. Yoland Buka is a researcher with the Institute of Security Studies based in Nairobi. I think it could have been avoided. I think had the international community, particularly the regional actors, been more responsive to early warnings issued by various organizations about the potential crisis that was looming in Burundi, I think there would have been a possibility to mitigate at least uh, the risk of an, uh, an, an outbreak of violence. Nineteen people have so far been killed in protests against Kronziza's third-term bid, which opponents and sections of the international community say violates the Constitution as well as the Arusha Peace Agreement. Sarah Jackson is the Deputy Regional Director for Eastern Horn of Africa, representing Amnesty International. Well, we're concerned that the situation is becoming increasingly tense and that it could spiral out of control. Um, so it's really imperative that regional actors act this week at the summit in Tanzania to put pressure on the Burundian authorities to urgently resolve this situation. The United Nations indicates that 50,000 people, mostly women and children, have fled the country's pre-election violence. Rwanda, which has a similar ethnic mix as Burundi, has raised concern that rebels may infiltrate the refugee camps. Dr. Buka again. 
The risk is escalation of violence, not only in Burundi itself, but in the region. Countries like Rwanda, Tanzania, and the DRC are re receiving mass influx of refugees. For them, this is increasingly uncomfortable because not only do they have to take care of those refugees, but themselves and their countries are facing situations like in the DRC, where the eastern part of the country is very sensitive to influx of additional people. There's armed activity by various rebel groups. The last thing you want is a situation where people have difficulties keeping the integrity of their borders and control who's coming in and who's coming out. I think the other risk for Burundi itself, Burundi could, the president could go ahead and try to run for the elections. In 2005, they held elections in the middle of violence. The difference in this situation is that the people who are manifesting um, are really concerned about one thing and one thing only, and it's the eligibility of the president to run. And they've said they will stay in the streets as long as he does not remove his candidacy. And prolonged instability like this in Burundi can then spiral out of, of control. You can have food shortages. People are not going to work in Bujumbura. What is in the impact on food productivity even in the countryside um, and their ability to get money from the center of the country? All these things can then escalate to more problems financially in terms of, of violence and also in terms of the international community's willingness to then give money to Burundi. We thought that Burundi's days of producing refugees were over. Refugees who had fled from 1972 had returned from Tanzania. So really what we're seeing now is the beginning of a regional crisis. And if the East African community doesn't take serious steps to encourage the Burundian government to resolve these problems, the numbers of people voting with their feet will just continue. The United States on Friday threatened sanctions for anyone who uses violence against those protesting against Nkuruzi's third-term bid. Meanwhile, Belgium has withdrawn aid to Burundi, becoming the first country to do so. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. A continental standby military force could come closer to reality when African Union defense and security ministers begin a meeting in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe today. A Pan-African peacekeeping unit has been under discussion since 2002. Each of the continent's five regions has, has been tossed with setting up its own standby brigade. The unit's mandate would be, to, would be limited to intervening to stop war crimes, genocide and crimes against humanity. Shinganyoka reports. The African Union is often accused of failing to stamp out conflict within its crisis-ridden members. In recent conflicts, Mali and the Central African Republic were forced to call for help from the French military. The African standby force is expected to counter initiatives, including that of the United States-sponsored Africa Command. Political analyst Takura Jangaja. This the AU trying to say, look, you can't set up this whole block of uh, regional intervention strategies without having a direct response or our direct participation through our own approved Africa standby force. Each of the continent's five regions will set up their own brigade. The 5,000-strong force will be mandated to intervene in grave situations, including war crimes, genocide and crimes against humanity. But the force has some critics. They maintain that it could become a tool which the continent's superpowers use to intervene in weaker nations without themselves being subject to its authority. The phrase you 
pace the paper calls the tune might apply. But I think in terms of the treaties and the agreements around the standby force, there will be clear rules of uh, intervention. And there's no way one country can then try and claim greater moral uh, latitude to implement the intervention of the force without necessarily also then sorting out their, their problems or issues within their own domestic uh, political arenas. The meeting of AU defense ministers in Victoria Falls this week will assess the progress made in operationalizing the brigade as well as its rapid deployment capabilities. The ASF was initially planned for 2008, then 2010 and then 2013. It now remains to be seen whether it will meet the new 2015 deadline. I'm Shingai Nyoka in Harare. The Kenyan government has launched a major disarmament program in, northwest, in the northwestern part of the country following the increasing spate of insecurity in the area. At least 70 people have been killed and, unknown, and an unknown number of people seriously injured during ethnic clashes in the region. More than 350 families have also been displaced and are currently camping near the Kenyan-Ugandan border. Mwaiki Konyo has more. According to police headquarters here in Nairobi, police and other security organs in the country have launched a major disarmament exercise in the northwestern part of the country, aimed at mopping guns and other illegal weapons in the area. All individuals holding illegal firearms in the four warring counties of Turkana, Pokot, Samburu and Baringo have been ordered to surrender them or face the full force of the law. The disarmament directive follows the killing of at least 70 people in the counties of Turkana and Pokot near the Kenyan-Uganda border during retaliatory attacks by the two communities. The Minister for Internal Security, Joseph Nkaisari. The government has decided to commence with immediate effect operation in the affected areas to arrest the culprit and disarm all the communities in these areas. Action will follow. When you hear me say immediate, it means immediate. And I can assure you that decision will not be reversed. One life of a Kenyan lost means a lot for this government. So I'm not interested in the numbers. I'm interested that Kenya lost their life and the government is going to take action. More than 350 families have been displaced and are currently encamping along the Kenya-Ugandan border. Opposition leaders in Kenya have accused the government, including the president, for failure to flush out all bandits and other criminal elements terrorizing people in the area. Opposition leader Moses Wetangula. Look at what is happening. A hundred Kenyans are slaughtered. The president does not mention anything about it. The president does not even go there. The president does not do anything in mature democracies. When such things happen, somebody somewhere takes responsibility. He says the government continues to sleep on its job as more Kenyans are massacred by bandits and terrorists. What appears to be happening is uh, the continuing deep slumber of the Jubilee regime. They are not concerned about security. All we keep hearing is that security begins with you as an individual. You pay taxes. We have a social contract in law with the government that we have surrendered part of our freedom to them to protect us and our property and to protect every Kenyan. In fact, even now, the source of information about the losses that Kenyans are suffering appears to be coming more credibly from Red Cross and not the government of the Republic of Kenya. And according to local residents, tension remains high in the area amid fears of more retaliatory attacks by rival ethnic militias.
Since last week, bandits and terror gangs terrorized local residents in the area, killing children, women, and stealing a new number of livestock. Women leaders in Kenya have voiced their concern over the ongoing state of insecurity in the country. This is very serious, and I want to tell the government, the women of this country needs protection. Our children who are innocent, they need protection. We cannot really let the media to say that this country seems like they have not been government. If you have been asking for votes in these areas, where have we been passing? If you've been elected there before, if there are no roads, if there is no police post or anything. So as leaders, I want also to challenge ourselves. As this committee of oversight, I want also us to challenge ourselves. As the ministry, I want also to challenge it because the solution must really be found. If we take stock, Al-Shabaab will hit one day 100 people 70. But if we take stock of the pastoralists, who are dying every day, one, two, three. We could be losing possibly 200 in a month. We want to tell the government that very soon, if they don't watch out, we, the women of this nation, will not stop and watch our children and our mothers being massacred and killed in Pokot, in Turkana, in Samburu, and other parts of the country, in Mandera and Garissa. We are going to mobilize our women and say no to this government. And as the security situation continues to worsen and deteriorate in various parts of the country, leaders from all walks of life continues to accuse the government of laxity in handling the security situation in the country. They claim that the security system in Kenya has completely lost its reputation and luster. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. More than a hundred young men and women from eight East and Central African countries have concluded a one-week conference in South Sudan's capital, Juba, where they agreed to push for everlasting peace in African countries where fighting is taking place. They also agreed to use public forums to advocate for quick restoration of stability in countries engulfed by instability. James Shimangula reports. The one-week conference attracted more than 100 young men and women from nine African countries, Somalia, Kenya, South Sudan, Burundi, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Ethiopia, and North Sudan. The theme of the conference was peace. Speaker after speaker among the young men and women aged between 18 and 35 stressed the importance of peace prevailing in countries engulfed by fighting such as South Sudan and Somalia. Others spoke about the urgent need for leaders in stable African nations to help their colleagues in countries which have been hit by insecurity, such as Kenya, where Somali militants, Al-Shabaab, have carried out a series of attacks, resulting in the death of a large number of people. Zakaria Muturi of Kenya emphasized the need for peace in the East and Central African regions. Once you have a peaceful region, even investment, we attract investors. Nobody will want to come and invest in our region if we are not peaceful. Because if we are destroying structures, we are fighting here and there, we cannot cooperate well, then that becomes a challenge for us. Abdel Gazin Elzin of Republic of the Sudan in north of South Sudan stressed the importance of African countries uniting at this time when some are shaken by either insecurity and instability. Yes, politically we are divided, but at the use, we are together. And we continue doing this work of, of peace. 
Ingabire Painaina of Rwanda was of the opinion that the conference was important because it reminded her of the 1994 genocide in Rwanda. I was reminded of my own history. I was for the genocide, but I was also reminded that after that I can learn. No matter what we pass through, there is always like a light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, as a nation, if we strive for what we want, we will always get it in the end. The participation of Kenyans in the conference, given that it has borne the full brunt of al-Shabaab attacks, was also highlighted by some speakers. One of the speakers was a South Sudan participant, Ayaka Dengalak. You need to hear something over and over again for it to actually sink in. You need to hear words that become part of your thoughts that they transform into your actions and that is what the Kenyan experience has brought to the table. That was Sudanese participant at the just concluded conference in South Sudan, Ayak Dengalag. The Juba conference ended at a time when the people of Burundi are holding demonstrations to protest against their president Pierre Nkurunziza who wants to run for the presidency for the third term. In Nairobi, hundreds of Burundians held a peaceful demonstration calling for peace to be maintained in their country. Here is the voice of one of the demonstrators. In its best interest of Burundi and its people that we formally lodge this petition concerning the current political situation which could adversely affect the still fragile peace and plant Burundi back into civil war. One of Burundian demonstrators in Nairobi, reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The European Union chief diplomat says no migrants trying to reach Europe via the Mediterranean would be sent back to their countries of origin against their will. Frederica Mogherini was speaking after briefing the UN Security Council that is considering a draft resolution that would authorize EU military intervention to curb the illicit trafficking of persons that has already cost almost 2,000 lives lost at sea this year alone. The EU indicated its first priority was to prevent further loss of lives at sea. Show and Bryce Peace reports. As the Security Council mulls the parameters of military intervention off the coast of Libya in the Mediterranean, concerns about what will happen to migrants found in illegal boats. Frederica Mogherini says no one will be turned back. No one will be sent back against their will. Uh, our intention is to work uh, full, with full respect of uh, relevant international laws. Uh, so this is clearly what is going to happen. No uh, pushback, no one will be sent back against their will, as it is already the case now with the people we save with our operations at sea. Uh, this is uh, uh, for us uh, a must. Chaos in Libya, which has two opposing governments and various armed militias in the country, has allowed organized networks a foothold to traffic persons off its coast. The country's internationally recognized government has objected to the EU proposals, which include the use of all necessary means to seize and dispose of vessels used in trafficking, 
Russia has also said such proposals might go too far, as the shape military action might take remains unclear. Mogherini sought to ease concerns. On uh, uh, destroying uh, vessels, the crucial thing for the European Union is destroying the business model of the trafficking and smuggling organizations, making sure that the vessels cannot be used again, making sure that the assets of these organizations are destroyed, uh, destroyed in a larger sense. Uh, I think that on this, on the need to uh, dismantle the model, uh, dismantle the networks uh, and their assets, uh, there is uh, a large, uh, let's say, consensus about the need to act quickly and together as an international community. The EU is tripling its search and rescue resources in the Mediterranean and will propose a system for resettling refugees across the 28-nation bloc in the coming days. We need to take also responsibility for the people we save. We are increasing our presence at sea. On this I can give you details because the decision was already taken. We've decided to triple the funding uh, for the uh, operations we have at sea at the moment, Triton and Poseidon in particular. So this means tripling the funding and the assets present at sea. Uh, this would mean obviously uh, a very strong increase uh, of the search and rescue operations. But at the same time, we have to increase uh, the level of protection of people we save. And for this, obviously, we have a European responsibility that we are ready to take. The UN Secretary-General Special Representative on International Migrations, Peter Sutherland, earlier told the Security Council that some 20,000 people could drown at sea by autumn in the Northern Hemisphere in the absence of a coordinated, collective international response. I'm Sherwin Bricebees in New York. A senior UN official has warned that up to 20,000 people could die crossing the Mediterranean Sea in 2015 if the international community does not take action to stem the flow of migrants. Peter Sutherland, special representative of the UN Security General for International Migration, says many of the deaths have occurred as a result of unseaworthy boats operated by people traffickers. Migrants are fleeing insecurity and poverty in Africa. UN Radio's Daniel Dickinson reports. In the first 130 days of 2015, at least 1,800 people died attempting to cross the Mediterranean Sea. Peter Sutherland is the special representative of the UN Secretary-General for International Migration. That total represents a 20-fold increase over the same period of last year. At this pace, were it to continue, between 10,000 and 20,000 migrants could perish by this autumn. On Monday, the UN Security Council met to discuss how to stem the flow of migrants. Mr Sutherland outlined a number of priorities. Saving lives, safeguarding the human rights of refugees and migrants, law enforcement actions that are effective against traffickers and smugglers radically increased safe avenues of refugee resettlement, family reunion and labour migration. The majority of migrants are fleeing poverty and insecurity in Africa, especially Libya, where fighting has intensified in recent months. Ambassador Antonio Tete spoke for the African Union at the Security Council. 
The massive increase in the numbers of people trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea cannot be divorced from the conflicts and acute humanitarian crises in some parts of Africa, and in particular the situation in Libya, which is the main point of departure for these migrants. Thousands of migrants have died on unseaworthy and overloaded boats operated by people smugglers. Federica Mogherini, the high representative of the European Union, told the council that search and rescue efforts were being stepped up. But she said there is not a simple answer to the problem. We are aware of the fact that there is not one magic solution, but a comprehensive response to a complex problem. It is not only a humanitarian emergency, but also a security crisis, since smuggling networks are linked to, and in some cases, finance terrorist activities. European Union governments have agreed to triple the financial resources to tackle the issues, focusing on caring for the migrants and disrupting smuggling networks. Daniel Dickinson, United Nations. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveille-toi. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rise it. Le soleil élevé. We ya wema. Within the happen Africa. Africa, Dumelang Sanbonan. Africa, Mulishani, Mulibanj. Africa, Ayomi, Kilon Shelley. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. Within the happen Africa. It doesn't matter where you come from Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Let's go back in time to today in 1997. An African National Congress ANC delegation led by South African Deputy President Thabo Mbeki made the party's second major submission to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the TRC. The ANC came under fire for instances of armed violence, necklace murders, executions in panel camps and the planting of bombs. The party accepted responsibility for more than 500 incidents of violence between 1977 and 1989. And that was today in history in the year 1997. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, Burundi's President Pierre Nkurunziza rejects international calls to delay elections. African Union Defence and Security Ministers begin a meeting in Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe today. And more than 300,000 South Sudanese in need of emergency relief do not currently have access to life-saving assistance. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Thank you, Anne. There is a deliberate move by the UN Habitat to encourage African governments to rethink their plans for the different parts of their countries so that all citizens can be able to enjoy better living. To find out more on this, Channel Africa's Coletta Wanjohi spoke to the executive director of UN Habitat, Aisa Kirabo in Addis Ababa. First of all, when we talk about cities in UN Habitat, sometimes uh, it's it, it's taken as the typical cities that we see maybe developed in mega uh, cities. But what we talk about in UN Habitat is a continuum from mega cities or big cities, capital cities, to t- intermediate cities, to towns, to even village centers. So it has to be a continuum because we realize that um, in some parts of the world, especially here in Africa, and also in Asia and part of uh, Latin America, there is still a significant part of the population that is maybe what you would consider to be rural. But even within that rural uh, entity, there are still uh, aspects of urbanization. So we need to look at the, the continuum of urbanization from the smallest to the, to the big city. So how should African governments develop order as they strive to achieve urbanization? Uh, cities are about people. And so a a good city is a city where the citizens feel a sense of identity, feel a sense of belonging. They they feel a sense of ownership and dignity in the development and in the space that they have in the city. So there must be cities that are inclusive. There must be cities that uh, have very grounded uh, also rules and regulations because there has to be order in the city because there is agglomeration. So... They have to be people-centered. They have development should be people-focused, should be as inclusive as possible to include all, you know, people from all walks of life. But at the same time, there has to be order, and that order needs to come out in an institutionalized manner, so that you have good rules, regulations, and laws that facilitate uh, public uh, space or a public um, responsibility from private and enable. Uh, a balanced way of, of, of living. What do you mean when you talk of planning of cities in Africa? Is it about just the physical planning? What exactly does it involve? Uh, secondly, a good city is a well-planned city. And I think in that it really has to be planned not only for the short term but also for the long term. Because as I mentioned, urbanization is being uh, is, 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 is at a high pace, especially on this continent most of the urbanization process is actually ahead of the planning capacity and therefore we are seeing more slums and that is not a very good a, a good indication so we advocate for a well-planned city a city that's that's planned at scale and it's efficiently and effectively utilizing its resources we advocate for a city that has good ample public space and here i would like to be more specific of not less than 40 percent of land allocated to public space and that is uh, uh, necessary for both uh, roads, social amenities, and even open space for recreation. Now, given the challenges of urbanization, to what extent are African cities currently living up to the purpose of development? So what we see here in reality is that if you're to move or maybe detach yourself and look at it independently, as an observer and look at what is the, the, the form of urbanization in Africa. It is twofold. One, you have got the slums. Then the, second, the other part, which is maybe the, 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 the developed or the affluent, is urban sprawl. 
which is also very unfortunate because it's not sustainable, consumes a lot of energy, consumes too much land, consumes, and they are not viable economically because we cannot spread uh, our, um, our, our, our housing and expect, as I was mentioning, infrastructure to follow us and not create good agglomeration and not create good resource mobilization or tax municipal uh, financing and expect that to be viable. That was Executive Director of UN Habitat, Aisa Kirabo, speaking to Kaleta Wanjohi in Addis Ababa. The decision to scrap the inquiry to look into the head of South Africa's National Prosecuting Authority and Olising Masana's fitness to hold office has drawn mixed reaction among parties in Parliament. Some opposition parties claim that there is a sinister motive behind the decision to terminate the inquiry, while other parties, including the ANC, have warned against second-guessing President Jacob Zuma's decisions for doing so. President Zuma has not disclosed the reasons for scrapping the the inquiry at the 11th hour. Abongwe Kobokana reports. After almost a year since the inquiry into the fitness of National Director of Public Prosecutions, Mkoli Singasane's fitness to hold office was announced, its chairman advocate Nazir Kasim announced that it has been terminated by the presidency. The announcement came on the day the inquiry was due to start. This decision to terminate the inquiry has drawn mixed reactions from opposition parties in parliament. Steve Swartz of the ACDP. The questions are, has there been some golden handshake offered to the NDPP? And if so, that is a great concern to us because there seems to be an increasing tendency for government to offer golden handshakes if one considers general dramat of the hawks and other, uh, to a lesser degree, SARS officials last week. Former prosecutor and now DAMP Glenis Breitenbach says Nassan has so far demonstrated good leadership and that it would be sad if he were to leave the NPA. He's me disappointed. Uh, he's shown that he's a man of, of integrity up to now. He's, he's certainly tried to give the NPA the kind of leadership it deserves. And for him to leave now, he's letting himself down. He's certainly letting the NPA down. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's a bit of a blow for the public in, at large. Uh, the NPA needs to have a stable, strong leader. And now we're back to an acting national director and we're back to two years of trying to find a new one. Uh, the NPA will be a, a directionless ship yet again. It's devastating for morale in the institution. And uh, it's just not a good story. The National Freedom Party MP Ntlantla Kubisa says it is fair to wait for the president to make his reason known for scrapping the inquiry before jumping to conclusions. And with the termination of the inquiry, we hope that the excellent the president will present the facts to the public because we don't want anything to cloud the office. It's a very important office in the land. Perhaps... Uh, after this termination of the investigation, we therefore hope as the National Freedom Party that facts will be presented to the, uh, to the public. NCMP and chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Justice, Matole Mutsega, says it is wrong for some opposition parties to cast aspersions on the motive for scrapping the inquiry. Uh, we believe as the Portfolio Committee that uh, the nation cannot be led by suspicion. Uh, for what these political parties do, they simply want to sow confusion because uh, we have a government that is transparent, that is guided by the constitution, 
and we don't believe that uh, the president is doing anything behind the backs of the nation, uh, but he has the right to exercise his powers and to report to the nation when he has done his work. That report by Abongwe Kobokana. It's 8.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, South Africa's National Film and Video Foundation, NFVF, recently hosted the We Are Africa Bulugwane Film Festival in Bulugwane in the country's Limpopo province. The festival initiative is part of the NFVF's provincial roadshows, which are aimed at empowering upcoming filmmakers with relevant information in film making and also to encourage film activity in all regions across the country. The festival included the screening of films such as Man on Ground, directed by award-winning Akin Amatoso and Cry of Love, starring the legendary South African songbird Yvonne Chaka Chaka and award-winning actress Leleti Kumalo, among others. To talk to us more on this, we're now joined by the spokesperson at the NFVF, Naomi Mohele. Good morning, Naomi, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, Naomi, can you please tell us about the film festival's goals and how the festival went? Um, the festival went very well, Lulu. Um, we went with the Department of Arts and Culture as we are an agency of, of the department. And we, we went with um, the theme, we are, under the theme, we are Africa, and to celebrate our Africanism, to celebrate our South African as well. So, um, you know, we took, as you said, we took Men on Ground, we, uh, we, we took Cry of Love, and um, other short films as well that speak to Africa, that speak to South Africa, and us uh, embracing our Africanism. Now, Naomi, what is the response like from the public? And is this going to be uh, an ongoing, is this a, a, the new beginning of the Bulukwane Film Festival annually? This was the second year we went to Bulukwane. We went there um, with, in partnership with Ashifa Shaba in, in, in 2018. This was the second year. And what, what I liked about this year as well, we spoke to municipality, there is a film office that is opening that site. We had meetings afterwards to say, how do we take the film industry forward in Bulukwane? So there are things that are, um, there are great things that are coming for Bulukwane. There's a film office now that is a structure in helping grow um, the film industry site. We went to Limpopo University. There are eager kids, um, either youth that are, that want to get into the film industry, that want you know, to be, to, to know exactly how the really chain of the film, of, of the film industry is. So um, there is that kind of a support from the NABS, there is that kind of support from the film office that has just opened as well. Now, Naomi, can you just tell us, with regards to the films that you showcase, you mentioned Man on Ground and Cry of Love, which are South African productions. What other productions did you have from um, the rest of the continent, for instance? We have Afro um, Afro Metropolitan Metropolitan. Um, it's 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 a it's actually a series of short films that was produced by um, filmmakers from South Africa, from Uganda, from um, Kenya. Um, it's a lot of filmmakers that worked collaborated together. One of the filmmakers there is um, Vincent Muloi, who is an award-winning. Um, a documentary producer from South Africa. So we screened those things again, and we are going to um, 
Kimberley, we're going to the northwest to continue, um, you know, with opening people's eyes regarding xenophobia. The films that um, we are screening, you know, talk about embracing African, as, uh, Africanism, as I said. So you want to take out this thing of, no, we are not Africans. We are all Africans. We need to work together. We need to laugh together. That's what the documentaries, that's what um, the films that we are screening are saying. Naomi, before I let you go, do you think the festival will inject the much-needed finances into the South African Film Festival or um, South Africa or uh, the continent as a whole with regards to filmmaking and the industry on the continent? You know, the aim of of, of the festival basically also is, is to make sure that people, um, you know, get into the film industry, are trained into being producers, being directors, being scriptwriters. Obviously, as that goes on as well, as we continue teaching people the skill and honing their skills as well, and um, there is going to be, you know, um, sustainability in the in those regions, they, they are going to contribute to the economy and as we want them to contribute to the economy. So it's, 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 a, it's, it's a, a long uh, business chain that you want to create to ensure that only, not only Devon, not only Cape Town or, or, um, or, or other regions, you know, um, uh, Johannesburg are, 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 are prominent in, in filmmaking. We signed um, an, a memorandum of agreement with Kenya in 2013. We are in talks with Nigeria. We want to tell an African story. When we go out there, we want to speak in one language. And telling African story, that is very positive, not talking about us fighting as African brothers or sisters. So we want to create this um, African continent story that will go out to the world. Hence, um, hence we are actually working under the theme, we are Africa as well. Naomi, thank you so much for joining us and all the best for the next festivals, which is in the Northwest and Kimberley. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Naomi Mohele, spokesperson at South Africa's National Film and Video Foundation, joining us on the line. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next. South Africa's National Union of Mine Workers has appealed to the government to intervene and stop massive job losses in the mining industry. This is different mining houses continue to announce plans to cut jobs, low metal prices, labor costs, as well as high electricity costs are cited as some of the reasons are compelling them to retrench workers. Ben Magara is Lonmin's CEO. We are reducing costs in all areas and labor is 60% of our costs. So unfortunately, yes, we have to reduce. And our aim is to reduce our labor cost by 10%. That would mean a headcount of about 3,500 of my own colleagues. In doing that, we have started from my executive committee, which we have already reduced from eight executives to six. So that's a 22 25% drop. And we continue to see that we would want to see a 10% drop at lower levels. 
The World Bank has approved a $45 million loan for Tanzania, Africa's fourth biggest coal producer. This is to help improve its mining sector, especially among small-scale producers. The funds will help to create a viable domestic mining industry in poor rural areas where unregulated artisanal and small-scale farming, or rather mining, takes place. The World Bank says the project will train small-scale miners in jewellery making and help them access markets and financing. Zambia has the capacity to produce some foodstuffs which are currently being imported. During a familiarization tour of Pamalat Factory, Commerce Minister Margaret Monakadwe said the importation of products such as powdered milk and fruits, among others, was unnecessarily straining the local currency. She said there was a need for an industry which can allow for growth of a small-scale industry. South Africa's power utility ESCOM says the installation of prepaid meters in South Africa's biggest township, Soweto, is not only to recover revenue but also combat illegal connections. Residents of Orlando West and Soweto took to the streets last week to protest against the prepaid meters. ESCOM says when the customers are cut off due to overdue accounts, many of them resort to reconnecting their power supply illegally. The utilities Gautem Province General Manager Bandila Jack says with the prepaid meter systems, it becomes harder for illegal reconnection. See, they're saying they don't want the prepaid meters, but I think they're saying that because they do not have not been taken through the benefits for them in the prepaid metering, especially the fact that we can use the meters to save electricity, given the point that electricity is a scarce resource. So one thing that we need to do is to take them through what are the actual benefits for them in metering, you know, and I think once we've done that, we will be able to move on. When I was responding to the questions, I was saying, let us go back, do door to door, sit down with the beneficiaries, take them through the gadget and the benefits thereof. Zimbabwe's state-owned electricity distribution company is considering selling $1 billion in debt owed to it by defaulting customers. A sluggish economic performance this year, marked by company closures and job losses, has seen more people struggle to settle their utility bills. Zimbabwe Electricity Transmission and Distribution Company purchases power from the Zimbabwe Power Company and sells it to its customers. The U.S. dollar, 1198 South African rand, 968 Botswana Pula, 731 in Zambia, 065 British pound, 89 euro, gold 1183 dollars, platinum 1128 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil, 64 dollars, 80 cents a barrel. Economic update on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Tabiso Lohoku. Aspol's update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, starting off with football news. Only 16 players turned up for Bafana Bafana's first training session as they started their preparations for the Kosafa. That is the Council of Southern African Football Association's Cup, where they meet Botswana in Rustenbeck in South Africa's northwest province, starting from the 16th to the 17th of May. 14 players trained at the University of Johannesburg and were joined by Gwanda Mgonyama and Tabelo Morena at the end of the session. There's unfortunately been an injury to Free State stars Daniel Cardoso and he will have to be replaced. 
Bafana coach Ifram Sheikh Mashab has more on the preparations that will see them taking on Lesotho and Malawi. But you have seen today we had something like uh, 14 players. We still expect another uh, six players to come. Uh, We understand what is actually happening. Uh, We normally get this problem. But uh, secondly, the season has come to an end. Some of the players want to travel to their homes and see what is actually happening. In terms of friendlies, we're going to play two legs uh, against uh, Lesotho. And then from there we travel to Rustenburg. We'll be playing uh, behind those uh, training sessions with the clubs there. We'll try to get maybe another two, three clubs that we can play with, and then we say it's fine. Despite this time of the year being an off-season in the domestic leagues, Mashaba and his entire technical team are going to be very busy, starting with this Kosafa Cup. I'd like to go back. You know, it's uh, when we took over this team, we said uh, any player, any player that plays football, as long as he qualifies, he's got an ID, they will play. We've got the leagues that are going on. If you look at the boys in that league, they're top goal scorers. Some of them, they're better than the players in the PSL. So what does that say? They, they deserve a chance to come play. And then, of course, secondly, it's, it's widening the base for selection, you know. We need not, like you're saying, look at the same players every now and then. But I think uh, with this Kosafa, a lot of things are going to come out. I think three, four players will graduate to the next level in this tournament. We're not going to say we're going to take this and when we come back. Like I'm saying, I pray, I pray that three, four players graduate to the senior national team as well. We take them to the next level. And on to local football, South African Premiership side Black Leopards will host the first game in Limpopo province against fellow NFD league mates Jomo Cosmos on Sunday before travelling to the Dobsonville Stadium in Johannesburg three days later for their second match. Cosmos will be home on the 24th of May and on the 27th in the third and fourth round against Swallows and Leopards respectively while Swallows travel to Limpopo and finish at home in their last two matches on the 31st of May and the 3rd of June. PSL general manager Derek Blackensee says as the league they are here with the organization of the playoff fixtures with no disputes stealing the show. Well, this year we're a bit fortunate because we, we're ending the league a little bit early in the middle of May, whereas it normally ends in the, right at the end of May. The playoffs will be finished right at the beginning of June, so they get quite a long period of time this year. We have had in previous years where it's been very late, especially when we've had some disputes about in the NFT, but this year everything is neat and tidy, so it should be finished fairly quickly. In rugby news, junior Springbok coach David Theron has confirmed his standing lineup for the first of two matches against the Argentina under-20 team in Santa Fe to be played tonight. The clash at the Universitario Rugby Club will kick off at 1900 hours Central African time and the two countries will meet for a second time on Saturday in Rosario. Both sides are using the two-match series as final preparations for the World Rugby Under-20 Championship taking place in Italy next month. Western Province loose forward Rikas Bothma will captain the baby box team who are starting to get a familiar look after two training outings against the Western Province Rugby Institute and an earlier run out against the Varsity Cup Dream Team. Theron opted to rest Handro Liebenberg and Danny Dubrie who are both nursing minor niggles. The junior box coach says he expects a typical uncompromising encounter from the lost Budmas. And in cricket news, the countdown has begun for Cricket South Africa's glittering season-ending awards. The much-anticipated event will take place on the 3rd of June in Galaga Estate in Midrand, Johannesburg.
That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, African Union Defence and Security Ministers meet in Zimbabwe, Belgium suspends aid to Burundi after violent crackdown on protesters, and EU foreign policy chief seeks UN help to tackle migrant crisis. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza, technical producer Charles Moyo and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is P-Square with a track titled Personally. Personally, personal, personally, personally, personal, personally, personally, I rock your body. I promise you go home, you won't tell daddy. I give it to you like you never had it. Screaming, judging, chill, like speaking Chinese. Now waiting with it. Back a boom boom. Now waiting, I see. Saga, but she know one be. She talks, so she know one leave. I know go lie. The things within my mind. When I see you dancing, girl, you got me high. Psychologically, you're turning me on biologically, sexually, dramatically, and she talks as she know I live. I know go lie, the things within my mind, when I see you dancing, girl, you got me high, and if you wanna try, make a good day tonight, cause I'm in the mood, as long as you're feeling the groove, I go deal with you, personally, personal, personally, 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 I go deal with you personally. Personal, personally, personally, personal, personally, I go deal with you. I go deal with you, yeah, exceptionally. Reason as spiritually, money speaking so drastically, magically, internationally, Abba, habatically, Rama, now for dictionary, Saga, for she know one be, she talks as she know one be. I know go lie, the things within my mind, when I see you dancing, girl, you got me high, and if you wanna try, make a good day tonight, cause I'm in the mood, as long as you're feeling the good, I go deal with you, personally. Personal, personally, personally, personal, personally, I go deal with you personally, personal, personally, personally, personal, 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 person
personally I go deal with you